exploration. Join us every week for a discussion of science and its impact on society on exploration. Good day. This summer, KPFA is holding just a 48-hour fun drive on Wednesday, July 23rd and Thursday, July 24th. What? No week's worth of fundraising? Are we crazy? Maybe. It's an experiment. We know we can serve you better if we don't interrupt programs with 20 minutes of fundraising an hour, as per usual. We hope we can bankroll it with your goodwill in order to get the financial support that we need to bring you the programming you can count on. Here's the number to call, one 800 Four three nine five seven three two. You can also pledge online at kpfa.org, where you can find out about the gift packages we have on offer. Instead of breaking into our regular programs, we're asking you to support KPFA with just a few short reminders like this one. Give us a call at one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two, or do it online at kpfa.org. This is KPFA or KPFB Berkeley KFC at Fresno online at kpfa.org. It's now time for Stone's Throw on Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Please, please stay tuned. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadow out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Uh, today is um, July the 22nd, aha, 2008, and it seems that we're having a kinder, gentler fundraiser this time around, you know. Usually I get out that song, what is it, it's called Marathon Marathons from Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. Actually, I'm a lousy fundraiser, so this suits my my uh, temperament, my personality. I'm just supposed to ask you nicely and tell you all the presents you get. Uh, at the same time, I want to uh, assure you that, let's face it, uh, uh, KPFA is the gift, folks. Uh, <laughs> we're we're what you get. Uh, I'll rattle off some numbers, some phone numbers later. But you know, you all know the phone number here. The phone number here is five one zero eight forty eight fifty seven thirty two, and you can call us, and you can get uh, one of everything. I want one of those. Uh, one of those book bags and, um, I think a couple of t-shirts. And I also want that, uh, DVD, the film about global warming. Yes, indeed. That's the one. I've got a copy of Al Gore's, um, An Inconvenient Truth. I keep copying it and handing it to young persons I know. And they always smile cheerfully. I, 
hope to God they watch it. Anyway, I want to thank you. I want to thank listeners for your letters and your calls. And I also want to beg your forgiveness since this is marathon and we're asking for your money. Uh, if I haven't answered your letter, it's just because <laughs> I'm old. Yes, I'm old and crabby. Uh, I want to thank, uh, let's see, those of you who wrote me about the Obama cartoon, the one on the cover of the New Yorker on the 21st of July. I, I'm i afraid that political cartoons may be too sophisticated for uh, some of our citizens. Uh, <laughs> yes, irony is often wasted on uh, Americans, but uh, there is a serious critique of Barack Obama inside the New Yorker of 21st July. It's written by, uh, let's see, last name is L-I-Z-Z-A, Lisa, uh, Reagan Lisa. First name, Ryan, R-Y-A-N. This is not a writer I'm familiar with, but the article is uh, rather scathing, I thought. Uh, It tries to analyze his political skills I watched him on the television this morning, that is Barack Obama, and he looked so cheerful, he's so loose-limbed, and he's such a young, lithe, skinny, uh, cheerful guy. Uh, someone said that he he just exudes calm. Uh, anyway, he was running around over in the Middle East uh, looking presidential, and it cheered me up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that his sense of humor will cause him to take the New Yorker cover and blow it up. Yes, uh, my favorite, the New Yorker um, uh, satirical cartoon. My favorite bit is the shoes on his wife Michelle Obama. She has shoes that look like olive oil in the Popeye cartoon. Anyway, today, what I really want to talk about today, I want to talk about families. Families, yes, um, my family, your family, family values, dysfunctional families, is there any other kind? Conventional families, divided families, uh, the vast human comedy. This presidential election has raised some of the uh, aching issues about African-American families, you know, about their tragic struggle. This stuff has yet to be fully understood. It's also important to remember that Barack Obama does not have that heritage. Uh, he's not uh, one of the black Americans who has a uh, uh, history of ancestors who came here as captives. Um, the history of chattel slavery on this continent and in the Caribbean and South America for hundreds of years... All that stuff is far too complex for media sound bites. Um, I took uh, uh, the history courses for several years, and I'm still uh, pretty confused. Uh, the trouble is, of course, we have these silly slogans, and the whole situation is way too layered, uh, even for progressive politics. You know, most progressives, they they just have this kind of knee-jerk notion about civil rights in general. Now, Barack Obama and his wife Michelle have a place in our sociocultural history that is uh, not, 
not just change, not just something new. Uh, it's apocalyptic. Uh, actually, uh, I guess, what is it? It's so complicated that we need to narrow it down till it means something. You know, you've got to particularize it. Last week, I noticed, I don't know how it was, but most of my women friends... Um, are being tormented by their children. You know how moms are blamed for all the existential upsets we are heir to? I think Michelle Obama seems to be the flak catcher for her husband. She's taking a lot of hits. Um, I read again that she's having a makeover, whatever that means. Now, all that uh, chatter brings feminism into the picture. Uh, the truth is that the role of women defines family. That's what family values means. Uh, we don't say feminism anymore. It's not allowed. It's the F word. But the F word is actually family. Back in ancient Rome, familia, in uh, the old Latin, familia meant all the slaves belonging to one Roman citizen. It also included his wife and children, you know. My father had a familia. I remember it in Tucson. Uh, there were about a dozen people included in this uh, clan, perhaps. Anyway, I looked at the, uh, I was looking at my uh, uh, my mail here. Even the poet Diane de Prima is publishing what she calls outtakes as uh uh, yes, part of her protest, her autobiography, Recollections of My Life as a Woman, included some uh, outtakes that she says irritated her family. She's doing local readings. She calls the reading Says Who, and she states in the publicity that uh, she's going to read this stuff that she cut out of the original autobiography in the vain hope of appeasing her family. Apparently, it's no use. Uh, <laughs> I looked around last night for a book that I've lost uh, by John Cleese. Uh, the title is uh, Families and How to Survive Them. And I can't find it. If anybody knows uh, <laughs> where I can locate a copy of John Cleese's Families and How to Survive Them, let me know. Uh, now, yes, the poet Diane de Prima is a grandmother these days and... Uh, I think of her as part of a family, a family of poets, uh, the writers, uh, those of us who created the literary world in these parts, uh, our home here in Northern California. Uh, now, I think of women writers as having a, a kind of a, I guess, a duty to make a public airing of family conflicts, you know, the learning experience, the consciousness raising. So many women still hide. Uh, hiding in plain sight is a trick that I, I have learned. Uh, it's all about identity, folks. Uh, I had a letter from a woman the other day, and she said, Oh, you're living my unlived life. <laughs> I thought she should only know. <laughs> we humans are weird when it comes to boundaries. The home life of many a feminist writer would scare the pants off most people. 
I think also of the women wrapped in burqas. I was watching them last night on Link Television. They were putting on a play about being oppressed. <laughs> Their husband seemed seemed delighted with the play. Anyway, the women who are stifled and silenced, uh, the hundred million women whose genitals have been mutilated to silence them sensually, sexually. It's all about social control, hierarchy, patriarchy, you know. Uh, at my end of the spectrum, it's just basically the mother who talks too much. Uh, is too free, you know. Mm, laughs too loud. I've heard that one. Uh, children would say, you just can't take me anywhere. My two sons have given up. Uh, uh, sometimes they listen to what I say. They're middle-aged now. But I am certainly a social liability. No question about it. Makes me think of the late, great Eleanor Roosevelt. One of her sons is quoted somewhere. He said uh, how Eleanor was always, uh, of course, an affectionate parent and sent Christmas cards. and but He said, you never knew who she'd bring home to dinner. Yep, that's the sort of mother. Uh, <laughs> I embarrassed my children every chance I got. Uh, I'm a little better now. When my older son got married, I uh, tried to remember to wear beige and shut up. But No, actually, I wore red with rhinestones. But uh, I, I did try to keep my opinions about marriage to myself at the time. I'm like Isadora Duncan. I think that any woman who actually reads the marriage contract and then goes through with it deserves everything she gets. I remember at the time, it was about five years ago, yes, my son was uh, more than 40. It's his first marriage. And my younger son, still a bachelor, rose to the occasion. I think he was 42 at the time. Anyway, he watched his big brother and... And the new stepson, he watched the new stepson about, uh, I think it was about ten, nine, I think. Uh, he marched to the altar with his mother on his arm. He was there to give his mother away <laughs> to my son. And the adorable little guy, you know, I, I'll never forget. He really was uh, a picture to behold. And I thought, yes, that's that's family. And my younger son, Peter, said, yes, that is what marriage is for. We should get married for the sake of the children. That's it. <laughs> my son, Peter, always says the right thing. His Zen master, Zen beatnik, anyway. Anyway, uh, I brought with me today a number of short essays um, about dealing with families. Uh, I wish I had time to read them all. There's a hilarious one called The Queen of Mold, and I think I should save that. Uh, right. I used to do the same thing. It's a sort of essay that women write to what I would call distance themselves from the madness. They turn the, uh, the agony, you know, into art. I started writing portraits of my father in high school, um, Hunter Thompson stuff. Anyway, you know, the wild men. They're much more fun in print, actually, than in reality. Uh, in reality, they are hell. Uh, again, the serious story this season 
is the story of Barack and Michelle Obama, their profile. And uh, I want you to check out a really perceptive article. I want to ask my friend Veronica, too. There's a perceptive article in the Berkeley Daily Planet. If you care a lot about these sociocultural issues and what they mean for us and for our future, these things go deep. You know, the psychology involved in all this is going to come out during this presidential election. Ah, yes. What was I used to say? It's the economy, stupid. No, it's the psychology, stupid. Nothing affects your psychology as much as being broke. The article I'm talking about is the Berkeley Daily Planet media treatment of Jackson Obama flap obscures underlying issues. You can find it in the Berkeley Daily Planet, July 17 through 23. And basically, it's about the history of African-American uh, captives and, you know, what happened to their families when they hit these shores uh Yes, psychology, being broke. I used to say to my students in Oakland that broken homes were just that. There were families that are broke, mostly single moms, the feminization of poverty, of course, you know. But any lack of resources takes its toll on any family group. Uh, a long time ago, when African Americans were fired from the plantations, as many people today are being fired from <laughs> jobs with nothing, no place to go, no resources, uh, free to starve, uh, that's why they became, what, sharecroppers, uh, you know, the backlash after Reconstruction denied them uh, that 40 acres and a mule, you remember? You remember that slogan, 40 acres and a mule? No way, Jose, with no capital and no land. They had nothing but their labor to sell. All too many ex-captives were ripe for exploitation. Those who did manage to get hold of some land, buy a business, establish themselves, uh, well, more often than not, they couldn't keep it. They were disenfranchised as soon as they became owners, uh, proprietors. Wealth is all about accumulation, about ownership, legal ownership. All the resources that the established order withheld from African Americans after the Civil War. You remember, it was another hundred years before the Civil Rights Act uh, ensured that most black Americans could vote, for Christ's sake. Today, the system uses the prison industrial complex to enslave African Americans, at least the male African Americans. Now, the female African Americans, that's a somewhat different story. And I think it might help. Uh, it might help. I want to ask my engineer, Veronica, to help me with this. I okay. was, Veronica, dear, I read in the Black Scholar. A year or two ago, it said there, we're talking about black women in the colleges, and it said that the women, black females, uh, the word was threatened, threatened to overtake black men. That is to say that more of them will uh, graduate from college. Of course, that has happened, you know. <laughs> yes, it has. Yeah, but, you know, to, to use the word threatened seems to mean that there's something wrong 
with that. And, you know, uh, the first time I remember getting into a real fight with an uh, African scholar was when he told me, oh, decades ago, that it was up to the sisters to step back and get out of the way because, <laughs> you know, these changes had come about and the sisters have to let the brothers do the take the lead here, you know. Was he wearing a dashiki when he said that? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, <laughs> he, was, he was teaching over here at the Merritt College and I would bring my students and he would give them a background and a tribe and a whole bunch of stuff, you know. Yes. We, we decided most of us uh, were Ibu, but anyway. He he definitely, um, I, I thought I was with the program until the, the woman question came up. And it, it is confusing, you know, because, of course, I mean, we understood where he was come from. Yes. But, I mean, to say that one person must back up or go down so that another, what's that phrase of slave of a slave? Yes, and you know, I, I just want to do a disclaimer, Jennifer, before Good. I say anything disclaimer. else. I don't want people calling you <laughs> or and or inadvertently leaving messages for me saying that I'm speaking for the African-American okay. race because I'm okay. not. I'm speaking for Veronica. I'm speaking for Jennifer. And also, um, well, the, I, I understand the brother's point of view because... The system, part of the insidiousness of the whole slavery thing was the way the male was emasculated uh, to the point where the woman needed to step up. Somebody had to run things, right? Right. And so uh, that's constantly being played out. And the fact that he would still, people would still be saying that the the woman's moving ahead of the, the man mm. it, it just continues to create that strife that uh, I believe keeps African-American, some African-American families in turmoil because the male isn't empowered to take on the leadership role in the household, not only uh, personally because of all the challenges you mentioned, such as employment, such as legal challenges, but also in the big picture, just in case those things quit working, we have the media to remind you, oh, yeah, the African-American woman mm -hmm. is moving ahead. What do you think, Jennifer? Well, is it too is it too weird to suggest, is it too new agey to suggest that even, <laughs> even African-American couples could do the partnership model, you know, like who, why does somebody have to be the boss of it? I used to say that to my kids all the time, you know, who's the boss of it here? Who's the boss of it? You know, and they would finally laugh. But the truth is, uh, you know, this is serious stuff. And, you know, when women are condemned, really, for their strength, you know, for holding it together, that hurts. Well, I think if there's a level playing field in the first place, if the two people involved feel empowered, feel like equals, then they can start that partnership stuff. But in the meantime, um, well, in the European-American model, there's more of an opportunity of that happening, even though, in my opinion, European-American women are beneficiaries of a system they were never really meant to use. I think that's one of the things that um, Hillary found out recently yep. in her campaign. So, um, no, <laughs> I don't think right now in this generation... Maybe before I become an angel, I'll see okay, it. Okay, maybe it's coming. I, I think uh, I read a piece the other day I was going to bring with me. It's about the Euro-American women that came here, and they studied the Iroquois women back east, and they suddenly realized that they 
uh, were disenfranchised. These were, um, what is it, the, the white um, uh, establishment, the women that did the uh, Seneca Falls Conference, you know, to get the vote and everything. And yes. these, these Iroquois women... It was a piece I read, um, their own sons were gracious and brought the tea and, to, you know, <laughs> uh, served the mother in the, you know, and I thought, my God, I remember the first time I told my oldest son to tell one of his friends, you know, that I don't do that. Yes. I don't do the service thing. And my son said, but mother... That's what he's used to. I said, oh. well, get him unused to it. Explain that that's not the way this household works. It's very hard, and it is a slow process, because I think the worst thing, I couldn't stand marriage, the worst thing <laughs> that, you know, the worst thing that I, I remember, what is that, being told, oh, well, you're not indispensable. How come you think you're so important? Boy, are you full of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They put it on, believe it or not, I saw it on Sex and the City. Little little Miranda. Once, I remember one of the early episodes, some man told her that she was wimpy and uh, drippy and not something or another. So she pulled herself together and she got full of herself, right? And she became, what is that? Uh, Not aggressive, but... um, Assertive, I think we're supposed to say, you know. Yes, that's right. And, supposed yeah. to say. and he completely turned off and he said, Ooh, are you full of yourself? Ooh, don't like that. Well, you know, it's a challenge for modern day women. You know, I'm not going to keep mentioning my daughter, but. <laughs> do, do. Okay. I don't have okay. daughter, you see, right. so I don't know. So, a totally empowered woman from the standpoint, you know, graduated from college and I exposed her to the right things. I brought her up to think of herself as a citizen of the world. And um, she moved into her condominium and for Christmas I gave her, uh, um, let's see, a, a, an automatic screwdriver and ah! a couple other tools. <laughs> Think that regardless of a woman's orientation, she needs to know how to fix things around the house. Oh wow, that's funny. So she needs to. She can do more things around the house than most of the guys she meets. But mm. look, look at what happened. Um, she put up this enormous, heavy, framed painting in her living room. I, it must have weighed at least five to ten pounds. I'm thinking. But yet she needed a man to come and install something, some little thing. You know, I think it's it's about bringing equality back into the of system course. because, you know, this you just said it. There's nothing. Men don't find it attractive when you know how to take care of yourself. Yeah, but uh, some of them do. I mean, you know, it's nice a woman can earn money and uh, cope, you know. Well, life, yeah. it's, it's a rough life out there, man. You're right. Some of them do, but I think the ones that do, Jennifer, are off having adventures. I don't think they're hanging out. You you're just right. don't run into them. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. So. See, I, I see the bachelor. No, it's true. The thing is that the basic fact is that when I look around, the women that I see who are the... I guess the heroes, the most courageous women. I mean, from from Barbara Jordan to Barbara Lee to yes. Maxine Waters and what is it, Sheila Jackson? The whole uh, the House of Representatives is full of black women. They're the only bad. one, okay. they're the only ones who have the guts to speak truth to power and do Don't all that stuff. Sisters, well, first of all, you have to realize what it took for them to get where they are in the first place. They had to dodge plenty of bullets, I so think, to speak. Yeah, we used to say that. The white, uh, psycho- that the women felt they had more to lose. The women who were into incredible denial. The women who, um, 
had to live uh, what I would call, uh, they were ghosts. Yes. The, the women in the South, for they, example. They didn't show up. Yeah, the white female who was the, uh, uh, oh God, you know, they killed themselves into art. I don't know how to describe them. The Victorian female, the... Uh, the ones on a pedestal. Yeah, the, the, the ones that they had the vapors. They were weak. Right. <laughs> you know, they were weak unto death. I mean, you know, it seemed to me they all had tuberculosis. But No, no, no. Uh, check, check... Um, that even crept into the series John Adams. Somebody asked me about that. She asked me for copies of my review. There was a, uh, actually, it was just the 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 in-home mastectomies that terrified me in oh that my show. God. Oh, the Adams' only daughter, and she's portrayed. It was so sad. I just couldn't believe this poor woman with her little white socks. I don't know. Anyway, a double mastectomy upstairs in the bedroom. Take oh, the kids. Boy. Take the kids out for a walk in the, you know, in the field so they don't hear the mother screaming i mean women's lives until uh the last generation or two you know they were slaves to their wombs and uh you know never mind it's what is it it turns me it makes me rage <laughs> it still makes me rage when oh. i look around the world and see what is done to women and you know what little what little strength they have is is um what is that um sneered at or condemned or you know i think i think they should all get a gold star it's time for me to get off the air and we haven't got money oh god people call quick send money i was going to read you this funny thing about by j edgar hoover oh yes i'll read it next week it's about how um what is it 1950 he was going to put everybody in jail for being a terrorist <laughs> you know Okay, next time, J. Edgar Hoover, I just wanted you to know there's nothing new under the sun, folks. I can't wait. All this suffering that we're going through, believe me, uh, it's been with us.